Welcome to Subscribing to Wellness, the show where Rachel Newman and myself, Daniel Fairman, sit down with leading founders, executives, and investors committed to building a healthier future for consumers. Today on Subscribing to Wellness, we are joined by Alex Baer, founder of Genius Juice. Genius is a blend of organic coconut meat and coconut water that makes a creamy smoothie without the use of concentrates or preservatives. Genius Juice was awarded as a BevNet Smoothie of the Year and is expanding its retail presence rapidly. Alex also hosts a great podcast of his own called 15 Minutes of Genius. Alex, welcome to Subscribing to Wellness. How are you, man? Hey, Dan. Things are well. Things are well. Thanks for having me on. Thanks for joining. I've uh, I've been tuning in to your Friday Lives with with Yenny, I've been really enjoying them. Excited to finally get you on. You know, I'm a big fan of Genius. Um, would love, and it, and it also looks like your golf game is getting a lot better based off some of the videos I've seen as of late. Um, but before a lot of, we- lot of, lot of practice and, yeah. and just like entrepreneurship, uh, a lot of mistakes, a lot of yeah. errors. Yeah, 100%. Um, would love to give our listeners a chance to let you intro Genius and, and what you're building. Yeah, sure. I'll keep it uh, pretty short and sweet. Yes, we started Genius Juice in uh, 2014. We basically uh, discovered the power of whole coconut, blending the coconut water and also the coconut meat together. And I'm like, this is an amazing combination. This is absolutely genius. I said, I need to bring this to the market. Um, As easy as I thought it was going to be, it was, I don't know if I can swear on here, but um, it was... It was really, really fucking hard. Um, I got to use the F word just to emphasize how hard it was to actually take this idea and actually scale it to a reality. So, I mean, uh, you know the story from us talking, but essentially, you know, we had to find a manufacturing partner that could uh, crack open coconuts, scoop out the meat and extract the water and literally do it at scale, you know, thousands of coconuts per day. And after a few years of trial and error and not having the right partners and going to, you know, here and then, you know, in the U.S., across the Thailand, back to here, back to Thailand, we have finally found great partners at the source that are extracting and harvesting coconut, this magical young Thai coconut. So uh, from there, uh, we really started scaling in 2020. We aired on Shark Tank in early 2020. So we did uh, nearly three quarters of a million in sales just from Shark Tank. So that was really awesome. And then we also got a lot of new retailer opportunities as well. So um, essentially the product, what makes it special is that it does blend the whole coconut. It has the benefits of the coconut meat, which is the MCTs, the good fats, the protein, the fiber. It's a, um, I wouldn't call it a meal replacement, but definitely like a snack, a midday snack uh, using the the, the name midday as a, as a reference to one of your, one of your portfolio brands and uh, midday squares. And essentially, it's really just that snack in the bottle you can have that's hydrating and also filling at the same time. We have three flavors. Uh, We have original, which is pure coconut. We have mocha and vanilla cinnamon. The last thing I'll mention is we really stand on the principle of having the most premium, the most premium, healthy, nutritious, and tasty smoothie juice products on the market where it just, it, it tastes really good. It's very filling. It's very beneficial to your health. 
Uh, we don't include any junk, no gums, no emulsifiers, no natural flavors. So it's just a pure product and we're proud of that. Yeah, it's it's an awesome story. And I know that you and, and the Koya team were recently recognized as one of the top um, ready to drink smoothies on shelf. So congrats on that. Thank you. Um, what, what's, I'd, I'd love to dive deeper on coconut in general. Why, I mean, it seems like some of the leaders in this space have really been focused on sourcing outside of the US. Why, like, why can't uh, these companies really focus on like a localized supply chain? Is it just the quality of the coconut is so much better outside of the US? Or like what, I guess just generally educate me a bit more on like the coconut origin story. Yeah, so, you know, coconuts uh, besides maybe parts of Florida or parts of Hawaii, uh, which is, I guess, considered the U.S., but still like outsourcing because it's not even part of the mainland. Uh, you know, uh, coconut, there's all different species of coconuts. You know, there's Philippine, there's Brazilian, there's Sri Lankan, there's Thai, the one that we use, uh, there's Vietnamese. And we found that just like Harmless Harvest, which uses the young Thai coconut, it's just the best tasting coconut. Um, it's the more, it's the most mainstreamable coconut. Zico and Vita Coco blend Thai coconut water into their products because it tastes good. So it has that nice sweetness to it, that nice fragrance to it. And we figured that if we're going to bring this to the, if we're going to offer this in the US, it has to taste good. It has to taste sweet. It has to be pleasant. Um, and no matter how healthy a product is, if it doesn't taste good, it's just not going to sell, you know? Yeah. Um, so that was really our sourcing story and finding the Thai coconut. Uh, so it, it has, you know, to answer your question, it has to be internationally sourced. Um, there's nowhere to get coconuts really in the U.S. at scale, um, besides maybe Hawaii, but even then it's not really at a big scale. And um, yeah, so, you know, we, you know, we, we want to keep the product as fresh as possible and authentic, as authentic as possible. So by sort by sourcing and bottling it, where it grows is really like, that's huge for us. And also it's a great value to the, to the consumer. Yeah, no doubt. Um, and if I'm, you know, I used to drink coconut water quite often for hydration you introduced the idea of, of brain function with MCT oil, MCT oil, and I'm guessing that has something to do with the name Genius, but can you talk a bit more about the functionality um, that your smoothies kind of focus on in terms of being differentiated from something else I could pick on shelf? Yeah, I mean, we're not, we're not trying to go after, I guess what we're not trying to be, we're not trying to be like a protein drink. You know, we're not trying to be, even though we have a, a protein line, um, that's not a really our core focus. Um, we're not trying to be a keto drink, like a low sugar drink. Our unique selling proposition is really how clean the product is, how pure the product is and how we are not putting in any water. Like literally it's like other drinks in, in, in the set that are competing with us are like 90% water. Ours is like 100% coconut and other ingredient, other organic ingredients. Mm -hmm. So we really just wanted to prove it out and to compete on premiumness and on quality with our product. Also, because of the coconut meat, not only like you mentioned, like the MCTs and the functional value, it has the hydration, the electrolytes and the potassium from the water, coconut water. It has the MCTs and the meal replacement or the snack replacement, I should say, of, um, of like a food item in a, in a smoothie. Um, and it's also just very minimal. Every other 
competitor on shelf has like 10 ingredients or 15 ingredients. They put in additives, they add sugar to it. They have to try to make it taste better. They have to make it taste sweeter with stevia. And that's all fine. It's fine that they use those ingredients. But we really pride ourselves by being the cleanest and most simple smoothie on the shelf. It also is incredibly creamy, you yeah. know, because we do use the meat, like we're using real meat. We're not using all these powders. Like we do we use like chocolate powder and things, but the core part of our product is not a powder. It's literally whole coconut blended. So you get that really nice, like as, cause you know, you tried it, that creamy filling consistency that you really just cannot find in other competitors that are next to us. And when you were kind of building out, you know, your expansion strategy over the years, um, thinking through maybe some of the challenges of DTC versus retail versus omni-channel and obviously cold chain is, is a really challenging um, supply operation to execute behind. Maybe you could talk a little bit about how you thought through that, that kind of expansion strategy, whether it made sense for you to really just focus more on retail and less on DTC, given the high logistics costs associated with cold chain going to each DTC customer. How do you think through where you kind of want to meet your customer? Yeah, I mean, uh, it's it's obvious to say, but I'll say it anyway, that D to C has grown considerably in the last two and a half years. People are basically spoiled by Amazon. They want it faster. They want it now. They want to just click of a button, have it delivered to their home. I think a lot of consumers don't get still how hard it is to ship cold chain to someone's home. So they, you know, our customers sometimes on our website complain like, oh, you're a dollar or two more than the retail store. How can that be? Because we're ordering directly from you. I'm like, want me to show you, want, wait, want us, want me to show you our cogs? You know, like we can prove it to you. It's really high. So we still really heavily believe obviously retail is going to be a majority of our sales, no matter what, like that, that experience um, and that market is never going away. I don't care what the naysayers say. Oh, it's going online and people are not. No, that's all bullshit to me. People continually want to go to stores. They want to get the experience. They want to see it on shelf. They want to shop around and kind of discover and have an adventure and like have an experience. And that's why retail stores are never going away. However, online sales are continually increasing and consumers are getting more and more uh, comfortable shopping online for perishable. They were already comfortable buying cereal and all that, but now perishable, they were not comfortable before the pandemic. Now they're very comfortable buying a smoothie or a frozen item or whatever. So costs are coming down on that for online, which is good. So we're actually becoming more and more sustainable online. Um, the other factor real quick is also Shark Tank. You know, like I mentioned earlier, we were on Shark Tank. We uh, developed a presence online because of Shark Tank. And we got a lot of new customers that are still customers to this day. So about 25% of our sales are now online. When pre-Shark Tank, it was like 2% of our sales were online. And that's growing every single day. So we know that there's viability there and we just have to basically charge a higher price online to cover our costs and you know, consumers just have to realize that if you want it to your door, if you want that convenience, you got to pay an extra buck or two for it. If you don't want to pay the extra money for it, you know, go to a Whole Foods, go to a Sprouts, pick it up. Yeah, no doubt. Um, I certainly am true to retail, but I understand the need to, to try to balance that omni-channel offering, um, especially with how millennials and Gen Zs are, 
are buying these days. Um, I want to change the topic. There are two things I wrote down that I want to discuss with you, um, less related to genius specifically, but I would say of, of a lot of the entrepreneurs that I've encountered, you are one of the most honest, genuine guys. You talk about the hardships that you faced over the years, some of the successes, some of the failures, whereas I feel like now we live in a world where LinkedIn, Instagram, social media really amplifies only positive news for so many brands and it often portrays an unrealistic um, picture of what it really is like to be an entrepreneur. And I'd love to just hear from you, like the way you approach kind of your image, how you're always trying to stay sincere and honest with everyone you, you kind of speak to as well as kind of the way you portray Genius Juice's evolution. Just talk a little bit about, about like kind of your presence on social media and the way that you're approaching it. Yeah, I mean, you know, I'm on LinkedIn, as you mentioned, and I just like to be as honest and forthcoming and authentic as I can. You know, obviously you want to have, you want to hype your brand up. When I say hype, not in a bad way, right? Like you're overhyping it, but you do want to share good news and positive news and get people excited and kind of build this following and charismatic following about your brand, you know. Uh, other founders do that all the time while being honest, um, like like Jay Carls over at Midday Squares. And so I think there is a balance in that. Like you, you can be excited and optimistic, but also you have to be realistic and come to terms that this is just a really fucking challenging business. It's really hard. It takes a lot of money. It's cutthroat. When I say cutthroat, like on the shelf, like if you're not performing within three to six months, you're out. And you're spending all this money. A lot of times founders use their own money. They bankroll themselves for the first half year or a year before they actually can prove the concept and go out and raise capital. So I, I just like to share the good, the bad, and the ugly. I like to inspire people by bringing them on as guests you know, on our show, other, other people sharing their story, um, which I get a lot out of. And I feel good when I can share my story and other entrepreneurs can share their story. But at the end of the day, um, it's good to be humble in this, in this business, and it's good to share your story so that others can relate to how hard it is to run a business. Um, Mark Samuels, another like proponent of that, like I, he's a good friend of mine. I really like him because he's like, dude, this is hard, um, but I'm going to share my victories. I'm going to share my defeats. I'm going to share what's hard. Uh, I'm going to share what we're going through, and I love to do the same thing. He really inspired me to like start a podcast and do all that and to really almost like therapeutically, right? Share your story so that others can understand what you're going through. Because four years ago, five years ago, I mean, you've heard the stories when we talk one-on-one -on -one about the manufacturing issues and how we lost all of our retailers because we didn't have products for literally almost a year back in 2017. Like it, it helps me spiritually to share that with others because I'm not just keeping it all inside. You know, yeah. I get to share my struggles and pain with others. And that makes me feel better that other people are out there that are, you know, experiencing the same thing as me, maybe even worse than me. That makes me feel more grateful that we're still around. And I mean, we've been around for eight years, you know, I mean, that's a huge accomplishment. And I like to credit myself for that and my team for that, that most brands, 90% of all brands failed their first year the ones that survived through the first year, that 10%, another 80% of that 10% fail in the second year, you know, like, so that leaves maybe one in how many companies, maybe one out of two or 300 that actually even survive beyond two years. So the fact that we've been able to raise capital, 
grow, scale the business, have a great manufacturing supply chain, have a great brand, great product, great team. Um, we have a lot to be proud of. I, I totally agree, especially given how complex the coconut supply chain truly is. Um, I mean, your ability to scale this business and stay relevant for so long is incredible. And I hope that more founders um, are able to talk with transparency about not just the triumphs, but but also the challenges that they face on a daily basis. That's part of the reason why I think brands like Genius and Midday and, and, and others have gained such a strong following in many ways is largely because of that authenticity. Um, when you see a guy like Jake talking about how they actually have to raise prices and not really shying away from the fact that cacao is becoming more expensive and that's why they're doing it. I think that um, says a lot about the character um, of him as a founder and I hope more, more entrepreneurs are inspired by you guys to continue being transparent. Um, on Absolutely. another note, I'd love to, I was thinking about this before and this happened like a year ago and now I've seen it twice and it happened in your sector. So I'm curious just for your opinion as a CPG entrepreneur, you had, um, you had a, was it Mondelez or Hershey? I can't remember. It was Hershey. So Hershey bought, um, Strive, Crave, Crave, right? And then the PE firm Sonoma Brands bought it back. And then we saw Coke discontinue Zico coconut water. And then I know Mark Rampala bought it back at power plant. Like what's kind of your view there? It's interesting. Like I still believe coconut water and coconut based products are, are huge demand and in a huge category, but then you see a big giant like Coke kind of discontinue the line, but then a PE firm buys it back to scale it back up again. Like I would just be curious to get your kind of reaction to that story. Yeah. I mean, I think, uh, you know, the, 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 the structure, or not the structure, but the landscape has really changed when it comes to coconut water. It's just way more competitive now, you know, like Mark built, and I have all the respect in the world for him. And I think he's great. He's an entrepreneur just like me. And he's like, he's a hustler and he never gives up and he's amazingly successful and has a lot of great investments. But like when he sold the Azico coconut water in 2000, I think 13 or 12, and where it is today are like two different areas. It's probably more popular than ever, but there's also more brands in the market than ever. So I think Coke definitely basically destroyed, maybe not destroyed, but really hurt Zico and what they were and what they stood for. And they kind of lost their messaging and their mission along the way and became just kind of a conglomerate brand, almost like a um, commodity brand in a way that could be sold everywhere. So I love that you know, Mark and his team or like, you know, um, John Sebastiani with Sonoma Brands, they're taking it back to reinstill the founder's spirit and energy into it and that excitement and, and really rallying troops, their team behind it to grow it aggressively. And, you know, I mean, from the brands you've invested in, the power of culture is huge with a brand. It, to me, it's a make or break. Like if you don't have yeah. the culture, you don't have a great founder that yeah. inspires others it's going to be very hard to scale a business and become successful. And you see that in cases, whether it's Steve Jobs, Elon Musk, you know, or even CPG, you know, uh, you know, whether it's Jay Carls, whether it's, you know, Lance Collins, like all these guys that just lead the charge and grow the business or Mike Rapoli. So I think um, it's going to be harder than it was before because timing is everything. There's a lot of competitors, but Nothing replaces the passion and energy of a founder that can grow yeah. it. So, yeah. but I wonder, my, my 
my kind of like speculation is, will they have the same, like, will John or Mark have the same energy and hunger to grow it this time as they did the first time? And they're also facing a potential economic recession. They're facing higher prices, supply chain issues. I've seen Zico vacant from a lot of stores around here, you know, because of supply chain. They were off the shelf for a few weeks, but then suddenly it came in. So I guess there's a whole new set of challenges that they're facing this time around that they didn't face the first time. Yeah, no doubt. It'll definitely be interesting to see um, how those brands perform over the next few years. I think you're totally spot on, right? Like the founder, the team around the brand. And I just think it's also an attention thing, right? Like you have a midday squares or a crave when it was owned by, by John giving, you know, a hundred percent attention to it every single day of the week. Then you throw it in the Coca-Cola or the Hershey engine when they're, re, you know, resource allocating marketing and sales dollars across a portfolio of dozens and dozens of brands. And then right over time, if you don't give it the proper attention and innovation, um, it, it can become a candidate for, for a sale. So we'll be interesting to see. Um, wanted to shift over to a few just personal questions about you in general. We call it... Um, kind of our rapid fire section. So sure. just a few questions. Um, your favorite hobby outside of being an entrepreneur? And by the way, I do rapid fire questions on uh, on 15 minutes of Maybe genius. Maybe we were so, inspired uh, by you. We might have yeah, been inspired. Yeah, so I, I love, you. I got inspired from um, Unfinished Business from Wayne Wu and Robin. So, yeah. so all, all great ideas are usually passed on and people just, you know, take them basically or borrow them. But yeah. Um, yeah, I'm a big fan of these. So sorry, go ahead. What was the first question again? Yeah, favorite hobby outside of your day job? Golf. Yep. Um, favorite place you've ever traveled to? Favorite place I've ever traveled to? Uh, Sedona, Arizona. Biggest kind of CPG product that you're a fan of outside of uh, Genius? I like Coconut Colt, the yogurt. Love it. I love coconut cold. It's amazing. It's I mean, it's expensive, so but it's amazing. Yeah. 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 It really is so good. Um, I guess biggest challenge that you've faced as an entrepreneur. Biggest challenge is every day having that energy to keep going. Love it. Um, food that you cannot live without in your pantry. Water. That's fair. Hydration is the name of the game. Um, and last question, we ask all of the founders that come on the show is how they subscribe to wellness. So what are some hobbies that you're focused on on a weekly basis to ensure you continue living a healthy life while managing genius? Yeah, so uh, I think number one, I mean, not number one, but I think family is really important. Um, I think, well, they are number one. So spending time with my parents, I see them every weekend, almost every weekend. They're up here in Pals Birdies right near me. I'm in Redondo Beach. My wife, spend time with her. So like having that family uh, time, I think is really crucial. So also having alone time is really important. Like we're kind of almost like slaves to everyone else, right? If you think about it, like, you know, we're working for, with someone, you know, our team, you, you have to be on hand for your team, you know, family, um, you know, work, everything personal, like friends, we're kind of like, I think slaves are wrong word, but we're definitely very tied up with social interactions when we don't take enough time for ourselves. So 
I really make a point to have some kind of alone time every day for at least an hour or two, whether I go for a walk, whether I go for a run, whether I go drive to pick up food instead of cooking at home just to get out, out of the house and not see anyone for a couple hours. I don't mind not seeing people, man. I like recovering on my own instead of being in a group. Um, and then also, you know, I, I do running and then I also, I love, as mentioned, I love golf. That's a big being in nature, you know, walking with my bag instead of driving the cart. So I, I get about four or five miles of walking time while having fun, fresh air, you know, cardiovascular, and I get also much more relaxed when I'm out there in nature. Great answer. Love it. I'm, uh, I'm going to be in LA in a few months. I'll try to get, get out on the course with you if I can. Yeah. I mean, you got to be good enough, but, um, I got to check, I got to check your handicap first before you come up with me, man. I'm breaking, I'm breaking double digit. If that gives you any hint. That's really good. Okay. Yeah, that's good. That's good enough for me. I can get maybe like high nineties, like low hundreds. That's kind of where I'm at right now. That's but really it's funny, good. The more, the more I practice and then try to translate it to the course, like the worse I feel like I play, like, I feel like I'm better if I like, practice take like a long break go out and play like a month later 18 holes I tend to play my best but if I've played four times that week on the range and then I go try to put it together on the course like on day five it's a disaster yeah uh, I would say Dan that the range kills your game yeah it's the range weird. kills your game because the way you hit on the range is not how you hit when it matters and when you actually have a ball like yeah. on real grass and you have like different conditions right it could be going up incline decline downhill yeah. uphill like the hole could be over here over there like positional yeah. golf so the only way to practice is to go out there and play the real game that's it i mean Love it's it. an expensive way to practice but that's the only <laughs> that's the only way to do it so. yeah yeah it is an expensive <laughs> way to practice all right man appreciate you joining us today uh keep up the good work and and again thanks for the time absolutely all right thanks dan appreciate it all righty bye-bye all right that was good thanks everyone for listening to today's episode feel free to rate review and share the podcast and of course don't forget to subscribe to wellness if you'd like to sponsor us please see the supporter link in our podcast bio we hope everyone has a great rest of week filled with wellness and we'll see you next time